Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. Chirpy Bird helps clinicians earn their highest possible MIP score to maximize their Medicare reimbursements. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Chrissa McFarlane is here today, and we are talking about her experience with raising money from investors to explaining parts of how blockchain works. Chrissa raised $7.2 million, and today she educates us on how her company is changing the way patients get and use their healthcare records. Join us as she shares her background and how she felt compelled to be part of this next level technology. Absolutely. So, hi everyone. I'm Krista McFarland, the founder and CEO of Patient Tory. Um, and we are empowering users with actionable insights to their data. So, what that means is we empower patients, or you know, otherwise known as consumers, with their health data to meet health goals and live, you know, achieve healthier outcomes. Um, and on the other end, um, we sell into enterprises um, to better assist them in managing their clinical and financial workflows through that data aggregation. We're using, you know, blockchain technology as the infrastructure for our data sharing initiative, which for our company, you know, we're able to achieve data interoperability and data liquidity. Wow, those are that's all of those are terms that I think that probably the three of us maybe understand, but could you take some time to kind of walk through what that means because I know that you guys do a lot of work in blockchain and love to hear a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, so for the past year and a half, I would say about 18 to 20 months, we've really been focused on developing a proprietary private permission blockchain network. It's called T2Net, from which we are able to aggregate data, you know, with APIs that push and pull information using HL7. As we know, that's, you know, one of the standards out there for the transference of 
health information across platform. And then we basically use our decentralized, um, as we like to say, distributed network, which then stores replicas of this information so that it's governed by our blockchain network using, you know, public-private key pairs for which the end user or the parties that want to have access to that information can actually get it. So you mentioned something before that you are achieving interoperability and data liquidity for anybody that is going online, you know, downloading and using the patient Tory app, which I'll have to tell us more about the consumer patient side of that. What does that mean for them that there's interoperability in the share of data liquidity? Yeah. So in the, in the realm of the actual consumer, the patient, um, you know, there's case studies out there that say hospitals don't want to share information with patients because there's risk there. And, but our goal is to really, now we, we see regulations coming out, especially one in, in California that says you have patients have to have access to their health data. But a lot of this right now, you know, is pretty much hard to achieve because of the legacy systems that exist in the space, especially when we look at different electronic medical records. You know, they don't talk to each other. So there's an issue of not only getting access to get the data, but then looking at it from a perspective of, okay, am I getting this data in what type of format, CDA, you know, JSON, they're all different types of formats. So what our company looks at is actually aggregating that information and then being able to display it back to the user, whether or not it came from the same or, or different legacy infrastructure. And then in terms of data liquidity for enterprise products and the consumer as well, we're, we're employing a lot of algorithms predictive analytics. To have that, you definitely have to have clean data, as the data scientists like to say, to be able to accurately run and display the desired outcome. And then looking at it clinically, you know, we're not trying to run into the issue of you know, misdiagnosing someone or having faulty data um, dependent on, on how the algorithms work. All right. So this is all super technical stuff. I My first job was checking out customers at Target. It was the first job I had when I was 15 years old. I was a cashier. How did you get here today? And maybe you weren't checking people out at Target at some point <laughs> in your life. It sounds like you were doing probably something significantly more sophisticated than where I began so many years ago. But tell, tell us what preceded all this stuff. That's a good question. I would say my first job was actually helping my parents start and run a, a restaurant. <laughs> and that was interested in itself too the restaurant business. And then, you know, my, my passion was really medicine and science. Definitely was pre-med, you know, wanted to go into medicine, but decided to take a detour and then focus on the business of and business application of healthcare, which led me into healthcare technology. So coming up, you know, I started out doing research in New York City at medical school, Albert Einstein. And then from there, you know, I started to work in the hospital environment. So whether it's like outreach, operation, went to business school and, and did a lot more consulting in healthcare, which led me into the technology piece and then went into a healthcare startup, right, you know, early on after I, I did business school, which was a telemedicine company. And with the consultant I did with like EMR implementation, 
you know, I was really able to see the different aspects of this industry and, you know, where the pain points were, where the issues were. Um, and a lot of it right now is, is you know, in the focus of patient Tory and, and how I started patient Tory is really on this premise of data access. And as I mentioned, again, data liquidity and, and how we're really able to not in, not overall empower the system, the industry, but also individuals. Like right now, the chronic disease issue in the United States is it's significant and it grows tremendously every year. I mean, over two thirds of the population has one or more chronic diseases or illnesses for an, a, a country that's so advanced in technology. So it's basically with this app, you know, that, that we've also developed and that we're developing it's looking at how can we use technology and, and data to help people live healthier lifestyles. Well, it's really good to hear that you're, you used your experience of understanding, okay, well, what, is, what are the actual needs in the industry and how can I help from there to basically inform what product or what solution that you are going to help create to help? And we've seen quite a few people kind of go from the other angle where they like, oh, I created this new technology or this new app or something and try to fit it into healthcare. And so it sounds like you've taken at least a smart approach of saying, okay, what is it that folks actually need and how can I use my skill set to get them that? And especially yeah. in a safe and secure and technologically savvy way. Exactly. Has it been a long journey? You know, how long has Patientory been around? And, and do you have any success stories around like some of the patients or consumers that are using your application? Yeah, I mean, so we've been around coming up a little over three years, um, four years. So we were pre- pretty around before blockchain was a thing in healthcare. And that was definitely a challenging time because healthcare organizations are like, what are you talking about? Success stories? Yes, we have, you know, very vibrant community. We're in beta now, so we have like our community who is able to give us feedback and how they're really excited about something like this coming on the market. You know, especially looking at other solutions that have come up throughout the years but wasn't able to achieve again, you know, that true integration and data needs that's necessary to actually create a valuable date patient information gathering solution. Yeah, so it's, it's been pretty exciting. So, Chris, in starting this up and all of that excitement, a big part of this was you raising over $7 million in just a few days at the age of 27. Can you tell us about that experience that got the, I guess, the fiscal backing that started this or maybe accelerated yeah, it? That, yeah, that, that definitely accelerated. As I mentioned before that, you know, healthcare organizations are not, weren't really thinking about that. And I think that event actually spawned even more startups to come in the space and hundreds of other companies. So I think back in 2017, this is actually coming up on two years ago now, we were the first company to do something called a token sale for a healthcare company, for a healthcare product, where we were able to issue tokens, which is really a utility of the blockchain. Um, It's used to purchase more storage for storing private health information on the network. So we issued that. We were able to build a community of over 5,000 in less than three months. We had over 1,800 people actually contribute to that crowdfund event for which we were able to raise over $7 million, which helped to spark business development as well as marketing for the company. That is huge. Like, what, a, what an accomplishment. Seriously. Like, 
did you just, I don't know, jump up and down, scream? Because, like, I can imagine going through the journey of, like, trying to apply for large sums of money and then getting the green light and just being like, oh, my God, this is a game changer. Did it feel like it was a, like a life game changer for you? It was. It definitely was. You know, the next day, I was actually on a plane when it happened. And, you know, we heard the news. I was, like, checking everything before board of the flight, and we still weren't there yet. So when I got off the plane, and then the next day, I was like, oh, man, this is when the real work actually starts. <laughs> so it was definitely a lot to take in after that. Can I ask you a question? As a young woman in this space, and we were just at a major health conference where people were talking about the type of demographic that is usually mm-hmm. saturating the healthcare and health IT space, you as an individual are really kind of contrary to the type of person that that saturates the space. And so tell us what it was like to do that and have that accomplishment or maybe, I I don't know, did it ever feel challenging or did you feel like any sort of imposter syndrome? Did you hear from people or was it really just a a lot of love and support? Yeah, well, it's it's all across the board. There's definitely a lot of support. I'm in Atlanta. I definitely have a lot of support from the city of Atlanta and the state. Um, and other areas as well. I definitely am an anomaly. I definitely see what I'm doing more work of my passion and what I want to see really transform in an industry. I actually had asked this question a couple of weeks ago in an interview. They're like, you're like the youngest CEO in, in healthcare. And it's it, it, not only that, you're, you're a minority, you're a woman, and we, we don't see that in health IT, much less the healthcare industry. It's r- rarely seen as you know, compared to other industries. But you know, on the flip side, I'm definitely I was definitely able to make positive relationships in the space that has helped to build our momentum and drive the business forward. That's phenomenal. I've also seen like, you know, more females, more minorities just listen to my story and seeing the successes I've had start to take that lead, you know, and the risk in building their own companies in healthcare. Because before that, they're like, you know, we don't really see our demographic in this space. It's, it's hard, especially when they go to raise money for investors. But we definitely see that narrative changing. So did you actually go through that process? Did you go, like, do the rounds, you know, meeting investors and look them in the eye and ask them for money? And how was that? I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, I still do that. <laughs> and I did that when the company started. A lot of it, you know, we, it was definitely brought on by a lot of rejection early on, especially for an emerging technology. They just didn't get it. Investors were like, you know, what is this? It's not something they had experience with or heard about before, which is fine. Even with the healthcare investors, they were like, you know, this is too early for them. So it was definitely met with a lot of rejection, but we were able to be creative and smart about it and come up with a new strategy. It's very impressive. So just from us to you, like congratulations on such a huge accomplishment and being able to turn around and look and see, yeah, and see that, you know, the work that you've done and the work that you're doing is really inspiring to others because it is really important to see yourself represented out there in the world, you know, to just feel like, yeah, "Yeah, that's something that I can do. So I totally admire what you've done. Thank you. So just another feather in your cap. I found you when I was reading about you and somebody kind of interviewed you in a Q&A for Forbes, but you were also a regular contributor 
for Forbes in the healthcare space. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I actually just started with Forbes. My first post was like last last month. Um, They asked me to be a contributor about eight months ago. And I was just like, oh, okay, I'm pretty busy. And I finally got around to start writing. But I had been covered by a lot of their writers, even from before we started to raise money. They were just like, oh, this is great innovation. And no one is telling this story. So we want to highlight you. And then they were like, can you be our basically writer for for blockchain and and healthcare and crypto and what's going on in the space as a subject matter expert, which I gladly, I enjoy doing. As they said, you know, not a lot of people understand the space and really breaking it down and being able to tell that story is important if we're going to have more people committed to working in, in the industry and seeing that transformation come to light. And so in the last couple of years, I mean, so you started down this journey in 2017. I heard that, you know, not this year at HIMSS, but the year before, blockchain was one of the keywords that was going around, similar to interoperability. But do you feel like healthcare has made a lot of progress in blockchain space in the time that you've been in it, or even just the last two years? Yeah, the last two years, definitely. I've seen just the progress. Remember, I started the company in 2015. And it was non-existent. So 2016, we had HHS come out with like a call for white papers, but no one was still really thinking about it. We went to HIMSS actually 2018, and they had about a couple of sessions, like two or three on the subject. They didn't have a dedicated space for blockchain at all. I actually was one of the early founding members of the HIMSS blockchain work group, which is now a task force started with like four people now it's like over 80 people in less than like a year and a half so you know they're definitely just in that one organization but we've seen companies in healthcare start to build actual blockchain teams distributed ledger teams so I think the groundwork is definitely being established and the frameworks are definitely being established yeah and it's going pretty fast in such a short short period of time that's great Well, let's transition to our second question, which is basically, if you could put on a magical hat and think of any sort of utopian future in which any problem could be fixed with the snap of your fingers, and specifically in healthcare or health IT, if you could solve anything, magically or not, what would it be and why? So this is in healthcare, correct? (laughs) Yes, please. I mean, you could ask for world Um, peace, but you know. We're really thinking healthcare. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I know one of the biggest things, you know, why we have a lot of these problems is is access to healthcare. So if I would solve anything in healthcare, it would be, and I don't want to come off as like this universal socialist system, but you know, some form of entity or organization where regardless or not, if you have health insurance, you can actually call a provider, you know, and they can do house house visits. So I think with our current health industry, I think it, you know, it would be the problem, the issue of just access to healthcare. From a shortage of, of doctors to shortage of nurses, you know, you have rural versus urban and disparities there that exist with the quality and availability of healthcare services. So that's something, yeah, there should definitely be like a program where, you know, I don't know, like 15% of students are slated to become healthcare professionals or something like that. (laughs) 
I think that is a very admirable goal. And I think access is just something that is so fundamental because that's it's really kind of step 1A in the transaction between a clinician and a patient, a doctor and a patient. So um, mm-hmm. I I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a, there's a lot of great technology out there that's also trying to help facilitate that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Soon, right? Yeah, soon like yesterday, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Krista, we are also creating a reading list for our Hit Like a Girl podcast listeners. Is there anything you read or listen to, or maybe something that's impacted you, fiction, nonfiction, that you would like to tell our listeners about? I'm such a, a generalist reader. So, I definitely love The Alchemist. And because I'm in the tech space, I try to plan for and read about other people's successes, other people's failures, what not to do. I'm actually listening on Audible, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in like a Silicon Valley startup. So that's pretty, that's an interesting read. I read a lot of just like healthcare books, by the way. Um, I know him, the author, great book about the future of healthcare technology in like 20 years. I think that's definitely a great resource if you're thinking about strategy and health IT and where everyone is really working towards. That's good. Those are all good. I think we've heard several of those before. And Bad Blood, I haven't read it, but it's the Theranos story, which is kind of like a nonfiction, but still a bit of a thriller, if I understand. Yeah. Well, those are great suggestions. If somebody wanted to find you online or get involved with Patientory, how would they do so? Yeah, so I tweet at Krista McFarlane. It's also at Krista Tanelia, but my handle name is Krista McFarlane. Also, Avid on LinkedIn um, at Krista McFarlane. You can follow the Patientory company on Twitter, you know, LinkedIn, as well as our Telegram channel. Um, you know, and, and be part of our community there and Slack channel. I mean, you can definitely read our blogs on our website and, you know, our latest and greatest news at patientory.com. Thank you. And I actually, I have a follow-up question. Did you say hologram? Telegram. That's, <laughs> that's like, it's like a crypto blockchain mm-hmm. thing. So it's like the industry's Slack. Oh. I guess it's easy because people have like these groups you know, some people are part of groups that's like 10,000 people. So we should know about I like this. I feel like I should know yeah. about this. Yeah, well, you can join. It's definitely on our website if you go to patientory.com um, and scroll down to our connect section where we list all of our social platforms. That's awesome. And so you're the first that I've also heard who introduces or invites people to join their Slack channel. Did I understand that correctly? Like, do you have public yes. access? We have, a, we have a public Slack, and we also use it internally for our workspace groups, but it, it through our private channel. But as I mentioned, we had a community of over 20,000 people. Around over 3,000 are actually on Slack where they can actually ask the company and ask the team questions. So it's like our version of an ongoing AMA. That's awesome. I've never heard of anybody doing it 
quite like that. And now you've got me intrigued. <laughs> like, I'm going to go check mm-hmm. that out today. I love that you have like the patient at the center of that level of communication to have that type of interaction yeah. and engagement. I think in doing so, that's really kind of redefined it. It sounds like you guys are really engaged there to be responding to them too, yes? Yeah, so we have a community manager. You know, when we had first done our sale, it was definitely a second job. We'd get like over 200 messages a day. But that's actually pretty impressive as far as engagement. If you've got 200 people that are interested in your services, I don't care what it is you're selling, even if it's ice cream, like that's that's still pretty (laughs) impressive. Hey, Krista, could I ask a follow-up question? So everybody's talking about this data and who owns it, right? Because it is an asset. What is your Mm -hmm. personal take on who owns the data, how it should be shared? Because everybody wants to, every company wants it shared unless we're talking about theirs. What's your take on it? Does it belong to the consumer? Does it belong to whatever technologies they're connecting with? Does it collectively belong to them? What's your, what's your personal view? Well, my personal view is sort of, I try to take a, a middle stance. It definitely belongs to the person who generates it. You know, right now you go into the hospital, you don't own that data, but you definitely definitely should have the right to be able to access it and keep that data information because you generated it. It's your information, whether or not you know what it means, right? I think we, as I mentioned earlier, I think we have to get to a point where some patients having that information is, is, not, is not a good thing. So we definitely have to get to a middle ground where we're able to, in a third party, interpret that information and share it with the individual so that it can actually achieve positive actions and positive results for that information, for that individual. On the flip side, you know, companies, they always want access to their information. I think this is where we get into the part of a marketplace where if you want that information, okay, you know, you're going to have to have some consent to it, and then tie that information to a value. So, you know, be able to pay for that information, given that you have the access and the clearance to be able to to use it and see it. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I love the way that you identify consent on the front end, but tying that information to a value. And I think, you know, to that end, granted, they generated it, whether they are or not, they know what it means, right? But mm-hmm. also, when you're engaging with that technology, there is a, util- a corporate utilization of it. There is that going on. So I think being yeah. cognizant yeah. of that is, is good, especially if you believe the value derived or ultimately, you know, being used by the corporation, whatever that value is for them, is also realized exactly. to some extent or that you're sharing in that. That's really cool. So thank you so much for sharing with us more about Patient Tory Inc. and uh, what you guys are doing. And congratulations. It sounds like it's been quite a whirlwind journey to this point, but you're definitely making yeah. some waves. Yeah, thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more about Chirpy Bird at www.chirpybirdllc.com. Dot com.